Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by the great Barry Trammell on this fine Friday morning. Barry, how are you doing? Not bad, Michael. Not bad. Gotten back in the swing of NBA basketball. Three, what, three games in the last four nights. Makes me feel like it's January. Nothing quite like Summer League. I mean, I, I told somebody, Summer League doesn't start until you hear somebody with um just an overarching take about um, some guy is going to be the greatest player ever, or he's going to be a bust after the first five minute of, minutes of his NBA career. Well, Trey Mann then is headed for Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, Chet Holmgren will be out of the league in three years. And uh, what else can we say? Uh, Brandon uh, Miller won't make it to his uh, Brandon, <laughs> through his first contract. <laughs> yeah, Keegan Murray is the next Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, bunch of great stuff but uh summer league is always fun but you wrote recently about um a rookie that's not playing for the thunder currently and that is vasily micic uh just what uh sort of uh things did you find out uh, just writing about european basketball well i did a study i was just curious how often guys sort of turn out in terms of do they uh you know, when when they come over from Europe, what's the success rate? And I didn't look at all. I counted 280 or so Europeans. And you can, you know, you can judge your what's a European. You know, if, does he come to college here like Sabonis spent a year at Gonzaga? Does he count? Uh, what about a kid who comes over in high school? There's different ways to measure it. So there's not a hard and fast. But I found about 280 guys, I would say, qualify. And but I was more interested in older guys. You know, the story of Luka Doncic is not the story of uh, Micic. That's two different things. So um, I went looking and um, I decided to cut it off at 25. I looked for guys that are uh, came over uh, from Europe at age 25 or older. Of course, Micic is uh, 29. He's uh, fairly uh, on the old side of this this thing he's uh, clearly a euro league star you know final four mvp 2021 euro league mvp he's he's by any definition a star in europe um but only 58 europeans have come over at 25 years or older and out of those 58 i only found seven that you could count as difference makers like really good players Guys that you'd say, oh, I'd hate to lose that guy. Most of the others have been guys that you could say, well, we could replace him fairly easily. And some of those guys, uh, you know, the, the Bogdanovics, the, the Bojan and Bogdan, you know, the, the Piston and the Hawk, we know them well as really good shooters, really good scorers in the current NBA. They both came over, I think, at 25, both of them. Uh, Sarunas, uh, Marchialunas, before your time. He came over in 1989-90. He averaged 12.8 points a game uh, there in the 90s. Good, solid player. Everybody remembers Tony Kukoc Kuko, uh, with the Jordan Bulls. Uh, not a star, but a really good player. Draven, uh, Drazen Petrovic, the sharpshooter, who was a really good player but was killed in the car crash in the, uh, on the German Autobahn. Uh, Dino Raja, the Celtic big man from the 90s, he had a good four-year run. And then maybe the most famous, Arvidas Sabonis, DeMontis' father, who came over too late. He was already 30. His knees were shot, but he was still a tremendous big man. So um, those are the seven. Seven out of, what did I say, 58. That's mm -hmm. not a big percentage. That's you know the 12% range. 13%. So the odds are against Micic. Um, but he has some things going for him. One is that he's a star. Not all these guys who came over were so impactful in Europe. Um, and he is going to a place that I think knows how to use people. He's not, he, he's not being thrown to the wolves. He's coming to a place where he doesn't have to be the savior or the star. Um, so I think there's reasons to think he's going to be a valuable player, but 
I still think the odds are against it. I think it's less than 50-50 that Michich has a, a good NBA career. Um, so I would I would equate him to like a, I don't know, NBA draft pick in the teens, first round pick, you know, number 12, number 15, number 18, something like that. Those guys have a shot to make it, but they also don't always pan out. So that's, that's how I think the history tells us, you know, what the chances are for Mikic to, to make it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because not many of these guys, like you mentioned, 25 or older, come over just like in the midst of their prime like how he is and like you mentioned with Arvita Sabonis and some of these other guys that just were just worn down by injuries he seems relatively healthy but yeah the odds are definitely not in his favor just because most of the guys who do end up coming over from Europe if they are good enough to contribute to NBA teams usually just do that immediately and don't wait that long yeah that's right and it's a great it's a fabulous case study um, you know, out of those guys I mentioned, the ones that made it, I think they all were 25, except the two big men. Dino Raja was 26, Sarbonis was 30. So he's, he's in some ways, he's a pioneer or a guard. Uh, you know, he's in the prime of his career at 29. And the NBA adjustment will be interesting. He doesn't have a lot of playing time. You know, there are NBA teams that would take this guy and say, hey, let's just see what he's got. The Thunder won't do that in part because they're loaded on the wing in that point guard position. So it's not like there's a bunch of playing time available for him. But there's always playing time for guys who can play. So if he makes his way, if he shows that he can produce, he's going to be in the rotation and he'll be a valuable member. But it's not going to be automatic that he's playing 20, 25 minutes a night. Yeah, I talked to Joe about this on Tuesday. I want to get your perspective. I thought this was going to be a unique challenge for Mark just because this is one of the higher pedigree players that he's had come in and gotten to coach. I mean, Al Horford came in, but that was kind of a weird year. And Shea's now an all-NBA guy, but Mark's been coaching him since he came to Oklahoma City, so it's a little bit different. I just wonder what it's going to look like with a guy like Micic, who is so accomplished in Europe. Yeah, I, I don't know. and I, I, That's a good point about Dagnall because, you know, he's, he's been so impressive in his, in his now, what, three years of coaching the Thunder. And he's handled a lot of different situations. But this is a new one, right? It's a new one for most NBA coaches. An NBA, uh, I'm sorry, a EuroLeague star coming over at age 29. Um, this guy's going to have a lot more in common with with Dagnall than he's going to have with Santa Clara Williams or Josh Giddy or somebody uh, in terms of age and those kinds of things. So culturally, he's going to be diverse from his teammates. Um, Age-wise, he's going to be diverse from his teammates. Um, expectations, the whole thing, you know, it's going to be fascinating. Um, it has the potential to go sideways, of course, right? I mean, we saw that with Gabriel Deck. He got all upset. You know, he had that limited limited run with the Thunder. Um, didn't play much. Frankly, wasn't very good and left. And, you know, there were some tweets and comments and you know, probably produced by his agent, basically saying, you know, this is not what we thought it was or we weren't treated right, those kinds of things. So it has the potential to not go well, but it also has the potential to to be really uh, a really good thing for both. If he becomes a, you know, a contributor to the Thunder, a rising franchise, he's going to he's gonna get a lot of play. Um, he has a chance to be a mentor to some of these guys. Um, He's going to have a lot of life experiences. He comes in and shows that he can play. In some ways, I guess he could be a, a team leader because, you know, this is a team that's really void of much veteran leadership. It's Kenrich Williams and SGA, unless, you know, some of these, you know, the, the Davis Bertans and Patty Mills and Victor Oladipo stick around, which I don't expect them to. So it's sort of an open, it's, a, it's an open, uh, it's an open book. It's an, it's a blank canvas 
And it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I don't think anybody was happy with Gabby Deck's time in Oklahoma City. I think everybody could just watch <laughs> the highlights back and go, yeah, this didn't work. But with Michich, one more thing, like you mentioned, just that it could go sideways. Knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't. But I was thinking about, and I mentioned this to Joe on Tuesday as well, let's say the team starts out 5-10 and 10 and he's coming off the bench. I just wonder what that's going to look like for him as a guy who's, you know, you're a league MVP like we keep talking about coming over and playing on a team full of young guys and he's like I'm in the prime of my career I could really be helping right now why am I coming off the bench and I'm behind in the rotation behind guys like uh Kason Wallace and Isaiah Joe yeah that's what, I mean that's why it's it's potentially combustible I assume the thunder did its due diligence on his uh his personality his deportment his ability to to sort of understand the, the the culture in Oklahoma City, I assume Michich did the same. Um, you know, he didn't have to sign; he'd still be playing in Europe. Um, he knows what the roster's like. I assume. I assume they got good agents in Europe, the same way they got good agents here. Um, so, if he if he's coming in thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna Side to you know become the sidekick to SGA. Well, that's probably not a a valid uh, a valid vision. But if he's coming in saying, you know what, I'll, I can do what Santa Clara Williams did. I'll just go in and play. If I do well, they'll play me to you know become a valuable member. So it's going to be great to watch. It certainly means I think that Thunder is more committed than ever to a smaller lineup. You know with uh, potentially four perimeter players in the starting lineup, which we saw quite a bit, Santa Clara being the de facto power forward on offense, uh, Giddy being the de facto power forward on defense. I think we're going to see a lot of that. I'm anxious to see how Michich handles defense. That's a vital thing. Um, you know, I, I assume he's pretty skilled offensively. I mean, I've, you know, most Europeans are. So, uh, most Europeans that come over. So uh, can he handle the defensive load? We'll see. Yeah. All he has to do defensively is just not be somebody who gets targeted off the floor. Cause I think the thunder with the length they have around him can cover him up a little bit. I mean, you're seeing it with Josh too. I don't think he's just like some type of elite defender, but he plays really hard and he's positionally okay. And they can make up for it on the back end, especially if Chet's going to be playing. But for me, yeah, I think that's going to be very interesting just to see, and maybe we'll talk to him. Hopefully we could talk to him on media day just about his expectations for his role in this team. And then you mentioned his agency. I think that his agent actually worked for the Thunder at some point before going into sports yeah, agent stuff. That. Yeah, that's a good point. I've forgotten that. You're exactly right. So surely he knows the score. Surely he knows what's going on. So um, there's no reason why it shouldn't be a good fit. Um, it wasn't with Gabrielle Deck. I don't know why, but this should be, you know, this should be better. And, um, you know, Maynard Christich came over after a, uh, uh, he had played in the NBA, went back to Europe, returned. It went really well for Nainad. He still has fond memories of the Thunder, brought his, you know, brought his family back the last two years for the Thunder alumni reunion, I think. So, no reason why it shouldn't work out, but but you never know. Yeah. Um, are there any guys who you would, I have this list in here, one of the questions, just not a one-to-one comp, but a guy who you think that Michich hopefully can be as good of a player as that Thunder fans could look to. I mean, Alex Abrinas is a recent one, but it feels like hope you'd, you'd hope that he's better than Abrinas. He seemed like a different kind of player yeah. to me, and I have not seen him. I don't know. He seems more of a an all around playmaker type, more than a straight shooter. He's a good shooter, not a great shooter from his statistics. Um, I don't know. You know the the Bogdanovics, they are more um, they are more shooters, scorer types. The one that I keep coming back to is Serenus Marcellunas. Now, no no reason anybody should remember him, and I barely remember him. Um, 
I think he was uh, shoot. What was he? Was he? Uh, hmm. Can't remember if he was Lithuanian or what he was. Uh, and but he he was uh, you know about a thirteen point a game score. He was uh, a decent shooter from the days when they didn't shoot a bunch of three pointers. I think in his career in the NBA, he shot thirty seven percent, and he averaged. 0.9 a game uh, attempts. Today, he'd average four a game. Um, but he was, uh, I think, how old? He was 6'5", 200. He's from Lithuania. Uh, he's actually a left-handed, left-handed shooter. Um, he, was a, uh, he was a wing, not considered a point guard. Uh, but he wasn't, like I said, he was not a, a volume shooter. Just sort of a good all-around player. He averaged in 92 and 93 with Golden State. He averaged 18.9 and 17.4 points a game. Um, played a little for the for the Sonics, the you know the forefathers of the Thunder. Um, ended up playing I don't know, and I, I think he played eight. He played seven seasons in the NBA after coming over at 25. So just a really good all around player in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, have. Quite a few turnovers. I don't know that Michich matches that. He better not turn the ball over a lot. Um, but that—that's who I would most, you know, think of. Not—he's not, not going to be a big-time scorer, but you know, maybe just an all-around, an all-around guard who can help in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was going to say he's not going to be a specialist like Abrinas. I think he's more of a role right. player, all-around guy, and then. As you were talking, a light bulb kind of went off in my head. What about this name, Jose Calderon? A pretty good one, yeah. You know, Jose came. I didn't really study him because he came in under twenty-five. Um, he came in at twenty-four. Yeah, and you know, another guy I kept thinking of. And this is more you know, sort of like Calderon. People will sort of remember him. Rudy Fernandez, who played some with the uh, with the uh, Blazers, was a pretty good player. Um, you know, the Thunder would take a Rudy Fernandez. They'd do it in a heartbeat. So um, maybe that those are maybe some of the comps. Um, you know, I think he would get a lot of run at point guard if the Thunder wasn't so loaded at the position. I mean, they got two. They've got one all-star type point guard and one potential star point guard in Getty. So they're loaded and they got guys can move over there and play it, you know, like, like Santa Clara and whoever else. So he, he might not get a ton of run at point guard. But we saw the Thunder as recently as three years ago have a, uh, an exquisite season with a three-point guard lineup often with Schroeder and, and uh, Chris Paul and SGA. So I, think, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think Dagnall would have any problem trotting out Michich playing with SGA or with Giddy or even with both. Yeah, and he's not a small point guard either. He's 6'5", 200. I, this That's is just right. more yeah, in, yeah. into the Thunder's philosophy of size for position. But a guy he's going to have to beat out for a lot of those minutes is Trey Mann, who's uh, been incredible in Summer League so far. You mentioned him being in Springfield. What are your just overall thoughts on the level of play that Trey's playing at currently? Well, he looks fantastic. He's clearly... <clears throat> Best player, yeah. He he was the best player in Salt Lake City. Now, two things: the competition is not great. Um, the Thunder has a lot of interesting players going. I don't know that those other three teams had quite the uh, roster of limited NBA experience that the Thunder did, with the likes of of Zhang and uh, you know whoever else is. Uh, you know, has, has been in there, um, but I do think this: when you play against outman competition, <clears throat> you ought to dominate, and that's what man did. To me, that's a good sign. It doesn't mean he's taking another step, but it does mean that he's <clears throat> reached a certain level of NBA talent. He's he's doing some things that that um, not everybody can do 
especially those on the back end of an NBA roster. So uh, the way he got to the rim, the way he finished, his shooting was much better in this uh, in Salt Lake than what we've seen, particularly last season. I think he was 31.5% on threes last year. Not good enough. Much better in, uh, in Salt Lake, almost 50%. So I think it's very encouraging. For man, I think it's encouraging for the Thunder. It gives gives some hope that he might be trade bait. Some people might want him. I think the Thunder would be open. You know, the Thunder's got to trim the roster, and they'd rather do it by not having to just cut people. I don't think man would be a cut uh, uh, casualty. I, I don't see that happening. But I definitely think he could be involved in a trade. You know, every every team in the NBA now seems to be hoarding second round draft picks. If the Thunder could could get a second round draft pick or two for Trey Mann, I think they'd do it. And there are teams that could use a player like this because while the Thunder has a deep roster in, te- in terms of the back end, a lot of people don't. We saw Denver, uh, Phoenix. I mean, these are really good teams. I mean, NBA champion NBA contender that are you know the back half of their roster is all veterans and they could use an infusion of young talent even if they know it's not going to have star potential so I think there's some I think there are some chances that for for the Thunder to get people interested in Trey Mann if you know if they need to relieve the pressure of that of that logjam yeah, in two summer league games, 28 points, four rebounds, two assists, one steal, 71% shooting, 20 points, seven rebounds, two assists, three steals, one block, 50% from three. Trey, his biggest thing is just his confidence. And whenever he's out there playing with that level of confidence that he has the last two games, he's really, really hard to cover. But his own thing, his thing is he just gets in his own head too many times. And the thing is with guys like, Trey Mann, who you want as your microwave six man, just the guys in that vein, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, J.R. Smith, what do they all have in common? They have an unreal amount of confidence. And I think that's what Trey needs to work on to get to this next um, level, because I think that the skill is obvious and undeniable for a lot of the things that he has. It's just consistency. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of things happen, I think, giving confidence that dunk which is the play of the summer league so far that gives two things at once it really i think fortifies a guy you know those things jack up a guy giving confidence it also opened eyes up around the league and uh, really he made a mark so i think that's good the other thing is uh, i think he did some good things ball handling now he still had too many turnovers uh, the whole dang thunder team got the pocket pick the whole time they were in salt lake but he did show, uh, I thought, some more ball handling chops than maybe what we saw during the uh, during the first two years of his career. And and sure, these guys aren't NBA level defenders. Most of them aren't. But summer league can also sort of turn into I don't know, chaos, and the refs aren't the best, and it can become in some ways more of a street game and a playground game and you know turnovers can happen in that in that culture in that scenario that wouldn't happen in a more in a more well-constructed NBA game so I'm not going to put all of the carelessness or all the turnovers on his on his back and say you know he can't do it I do think sometimes we have to remember that summer league can be even for really good players can be a little can be a little goofy it's summer league for everybody from the lighting guy to the referees to the shot clock guy (laughs) everyone that's what they say so it's just everyone's working out the kinks of this stuff but i do just wonder how much of his success now can translate to the regular season and i think it's just going to come down to the confidence stuff i mean he's not going to have the ball this much or the usage that he has now but he needs to just capitalize on those uh, limited possessions that he can come in. I don't know. There, there are times where it's just like he's very shy and just kind of defers to the, all these other guys. 
whenever it's just like, no, this is your time. You need to go out there and just heat check for a while. And if it's not your night, Mark will sub you out. We'll get you in at a different game. But yeah, he can't just be overthinking would be my main point on him. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And he is a guy. I mean, this guy, I forgot, what, what's his career high? Did he have 30 in a game? This guy scored. Yeah, scored he's, he's definitely had 30. Yeah, I'll look he it scored up. 30 points in an NBA game. So, I mean, he's he's not a he's not a stiff. He's not a flash in the pan. He's a guy that's done stuff. So, um, yeah, he had 35 points. As, he had 35 points as a rookie in a game. He had 25 points in the game last season. Uh, so, I think this is a uh, this is a guy that can play at this level. You just got to find the right the right fit. Maybe it's Oklahoma City. Maybe it's not. Um, got to find the right situation. You know this this is a tough one because the Thunder is so guard oriented. Um, but he's got the goods. Trey Mann is an NBA player. I think we know that. Yeah, and Mark, just with the amount of guys he plays in his rotation, you're never just completely in the doghouse. You're going to get an opportunity. So if you keep working, stick around, it's going to be fine. But a guy who recently made his big return, Chet Holmgren. What what was your initial reaction to seeing Chet back on the floor in his first game back from injury? I was very pleased, for one thing. He didn't make quite the splash he did a year ago in his summer league debut. Uh, that's because the offensive opportunities weren't there. And when they were there, he didn't produce all that well. Um, I did think the defensive rim protection instincts were what we thought they would be. I mean, he clearly is going to make a difference defending the rim. Points of concern, uh, he was bullied some in the paint. I'm not overly worried about that for two reasons one in a real nba game if a guy wants to you know play bully ball and try to try to muscle him well about the about the third dribble he takes lou dort or sga or santa clara williams or somebody's going to be digging in and knocking the ball out of the guy's hand so you don't you're not going to have the time that maybe you have in summer league to to do some of that stuff and the other thing uh, outside of about five guys, nobody really has a low post game to to get too worried about. You know, this is not 1968. So I think that problem can be overstated. And, you know, there will be lineups where Chet will not be, will not be guarding, the, you know, the 260-pound power forward or the 280-pound center. So a little bit of that is overrated. I also think Chet Holmgren was pressing a lot on offense. Um, way too much dribbling, way too much bringing the ball up court without an awareness that hey, somebody's coming up from behind you or somebody's coming on the side and you, you could lose this ball. He got upset apparently at Arkansas Williams or at, at somebody for not letting him know that that he was – that a defender was coming up behind him when, in fact, Arkansas Williams was saying, hey, I did. I was yelling your name the whole way. Um, there are times when it's cool for a seven-foot-one center to get the ball and take it all the way up the court. Those times are rare. That shouldn't happen very often. So better for him to, you know, if he gets a rebound, gets an open, gets a loose ball or something, get the ball to one of the ball handlers, get yourself down court, and, you know, that's going to be an easier path a better path to an easy shot than trying to create on your own. Just because you're sort of capable of it doesn't mean you should do it all that much. And I think those are things he's going to have to learn. Um, the shooting, I'm not worried about. He's going to make shots. He didn't get a ton of, of outside shots. Uh, that that will not be a problem once SGA and Santa Clara and Josh Giddy are on the court. So I'm not too... <laughs> I'm not too worried about the offensive production. Um, I do worry about the decision-making a little bit. Just remember, you don't have to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a a Milwaukee rookie. That's not what you have to be. The Thunder doesn't need that and doesn't expect that. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be expecting him to make a lot of decisions. I think that whenever you get those guys out there, 
they're going to be handling the ball more. I mean, Chet's still going to handle it, but it won't be at this rate. And then just his offensive stuff, like you mentioned, you could definitely tell he was pressing and trying to shake the rust off. And to me, it was very evident that he's in really good shape physically, but he's still not in basketball shape to like go down, block a shot, get a rebound, play three or four possessions back and forth, and then come down and shoot a three. Like his legs just aren't there for that yet. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it, but it's something I've I've noticed. And I think he's still getting used to all the bumps and bruises of being back out there. Joe and I talked about this on Tuesday, but I, I wonder if he's going to be on the side of a guy like Russell Westbrook who came back from injury and is just like nothing happened. Or if it's somebody more like Derek Rose who has a little bit more um caution out there about his injury, just a little bit more, I don't know, uh, concerned about re-injuring. But Chet looked super confident after he kind of found his rhythm. And then defensively, he was just a monster. I mean, he was blocking every shot. And it got to the point where it's like, why are guys even trying to go to the rim on him? But that feels like it's going to have a pretty immediate impact, even at the NBA level, just his uh, rim protection. And think about it. The Thunder hasn't had a ton of that in the last seven years since Serge left. I mean, Noel, Nerlens Noel was pretty good. Adams could do it a little bit. Jeremy Grant had his moments. But for the most part, the Thunder's been playing, you know, defense a different way for most of these seven years. And now they're back having a a rim protector. And that's it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Now there are things they'll have to adjust to compensate for some of Chet's shortcomings. But rim protection is a massive thing, and you don't just gauge the blocks. Um, and it's not just the drives that aren't finished or the shots that aren't taken or the, the shots that are missed. It's the guys who don't even drive. You know, there's a crack, a seam, and a guy goes to the rim. But if Chet Holmgren's on the other side of the lane, maybe that maybe that guy doesn't even take, take the seam. Maybe he just, eh. Somebody else can deal with this. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a huge it's a huge advantage to have somebody like that. I think you're going to see that with San Antonio and Wimbanyama. Clearly, in my mind, that's going to be the difference making for Victor Wimbanyama as a young NBA player. You know, he may turn out to be an all-time scorer, but right now his biggest impact is just going to be on that defensive end and those seven foot four arms. And you know, Holmgren's only a you know a little bit smaller, and he's going to he's going to impact the game that way, no doubt about it. Yeah, there's rim protection, and then there's rim deterrence, and we've had guys in the past who just chase blocks like Hassan Whiteside, who's it's just kind of empty calorie, and we have other guys like Gobert, Tim Duncan, who just kind of sit in the lane and they just um, they get go- guys in those Steve Nash dribbles where they dribble in and then they realize. I have no shot here and they have to dribble all the way back out. And that's just as effective as a block that you're just resetting the uh, opponent's offense. But with Chet, I'm very excited to see what he does. And like you mentioned, maybe it's crazy to say, but Chet, before he ever plays in an official Thunder game, might already be a top five shot blocker in Thunder history. Just yeah. talent wise. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, and here's, here's when, when the Thunder drafted Holmgren and we looked you know a year 13 months ago when we spent so, so much time looking at who should they take why is it why is this guy potential star why is he not blah blah blah, blah. the case for Holmgren was he had two avenues to stardom or major impact he's a seven footer who is highly skilled and can shoot making him a potentially elite offensive player. He's also a defensive difference maker because of the wingspan, because of the timing, because of the instincts. Two different paths. If he if if he goes to both paths, he's a superstar. If he just goes to one path, he's a really valuable player and you know, on a borderline star and somebody that can help you win a championship. It strikes me, and after three summer league or two summer league games this year, one and a half or whatever it was last year, I would say that the defensive path is everything we could have hoped for. Um, what they sold us 
the draft prospects is what we see. Offense, maybe two. I don't know. It's too early to tell. But you can you can see those defensive instincts, and the wingspan, of course, is is automatic. Yeah, we're just seeing all types of these guys come in the league, from like Jaron Jackson to Evan Mobley to Chet to Victor Wembanyama of these like giant mobile rim protectors who just swat everything and just kind of just roam around the rim. And I think it's going to be very interesting. I think Chet, the Thunder, obviously the biggest issue that they had was rim protection and then shooting from the five. He immediately comes in and solves both those problems. Hopefully, I think that he's going to be able to shoot at the NBA level, even though he's not doing that right now. But like I mentioned before, it's just some of it's shaken off the rust. And then um, some of his offensive production hasn't been as good this year. And that, to me, feels like a direct line of just Josh Giddy not playing with him. Because I think a lot of those guys are just missing him on rolls and on pops and on cuts and stuff like that. Whereas Giddy, Micic, and Shea are probably going to hit him on every single one of those and make his life a lot easier. Yeah. We forget what you just said is something we forgot. Josh Giddy played summer league last year. Josh Giddy was a good NBA rookie. He was an even better NBA sophomore. And he was in the middle of that. Um, Look back. Look back at the first what, five minutes of the opener Monday night against, who was it? Utah, I guess. Santa Clara's out there. I mean, he looked phenomenal. He looked like, he looked like this guy shouldn't even be on, be on the court and maybe he shouldn't have been. The, the level of talent that Thunder has wait, awaiting Chet Holmgren is going to be, it's going to be great uh, with SGA, with, with Santa Clara, with Giddy, and um, you're right. Holmgren's going to get a lot more easy shots. Um, summer, I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to be smirch summer league, but it's a little bit like watching oh a, a lower caliber of basketball. Sort of like if you watch a, a high level high school game, and then the not-so-high-level high school game. The difference is in the movement, in the passing, in the precision, in the, in the openness. And, you know, the, the lower levels can get sort of just cluttered. You know, if you've ever watched eight-year-olds play basketball, it's a mosh pit. And there's a little bit of a mosh pit element to summer league. The floor is not spaced quite as well or as, as deep. The, the ball handling is not quite as good. The, uh, it, it just becomes more of a rumble at times. It's sort of that chaos I was talking about earlier. So Chet Holmgren is not going to fare well in chaos. He's not, you, know, you don't want him in an alley fight. So I think he will prosper once he gets into a Dagnault system with the kind of players the Thunder has out there. Summer League is so funny, like you mentioned, because it's just people confirming their own biases on stuff. If it's a guy who's playing bad, then you go, well, it's, it's just Summer League. It doesn't really matter. And if he plays really well, you're like, this is a, this is a sign. This guy's going to be a star. So it's just no matter where you look at it, it's Summer League. I mean, there were times where um, I'm trying to think of former Summer League stars. Nate Robinson has his uh, jersey retired in Summer League. And then, <laughs> Other guys we had like Trey Young were like, do you think that he can make it to training camp before he gets cut? Just how bad he was. So summer league sometimes can um, give you a preview of what these guys look like. But at the same time, it's just such a different basketball situation from what they're going to be dealing with at the NBA level. Yeah, and um, that's true. And it, I guess, you know, it's a little bit. It's the step below the exhibition games, right? I mean, in, in, in the exhibition games, you get a pretty good idea of what, what things are going to be like. But then a week later, the season starts, and you think, oh, this is what it really looks like. And then the playoffs get here, and it, it takes another step up in intensity and talent and all those things. So, yeah, this is the bottom rung of the NBA. It's the bottom rung of the NBA. I'm not a G League aficionado. I don't know where you could put the G League in on that. Um, but somewhere along those lines. Um, so, but it's fun. It's a great, it's a summer pastime. Gives us a basketball fix. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it helps. To me, it helps 
that the Thunder in this this uh, era of Thunder basketball, Thunder has a lot of interesting summer league players. They've got a lot, a lot of young players, Trey Mann, Santa Clara Williams, Chet Holmgren, Usman Jang. All those guys are playing. You know, in the, in the heyday of Durant and Westbrook, summer league wasn't that much. The draft pick, which usually wasn't very good, and then maybe uh, you know one guy who'd played a little the previous year, and then just a bunch of guys you never heard of. It really wasn't even worth watching. Um, and that might come again here in four or five years. But for now, there was a glut of, of young ta- of Thunder talent on display at summer. You telling me you weren't sprinting to your TV to watch Daniel Orton playing Orlando <laughs> in prime time at like 9 a.m.? Yeah, no, yeah. And it, you, are you, you're, you're old enough to remember when it was on, it wasn't even on television, it was just streamed. Mm-hmm. And it was just like one camera shot. And you, you know, you couldn't even really follow. I think it was year one, maybe with Westbrook. Um, and you couldn't even really follow the act. It's hard to tell, you know, who's even playing. Yeah. An Orlando practice gym, all the practice jerseys yeah. look the same. It's one yeah. guy on a um, <laughs> tripod and it looks like somebody's dad filming a high school game. Yeah, that's exactly we, we have, right. We have evolved a little bit since then as we get uh, like uh, Mark Jackson and Mike Breen will call probably Victor Wembanyama's first game or something ridiculous like that. But going from one big, talented Frenchman to another, Usman Jang came out really slow in those first two summer league games. And we were ready to kind of just um, have a few questions about him, but it is again summer league. And then he just last night just um, eviscerated the 76ers. What have been your main takeaways from last night and just overall from Oos? Well, here's what I had an epiphany a week or so ago, and I was waiting to trot it out. And I'm about to think I'm writing about it today. Do you see many similarities between Ujman Zhang and Jeremy Grant? I actually see a lot. They are both, and I'm thinking of the Jeremy Grant of when he arrived from the Thunder in his mm-hmm. first two years in Philly. <clears throat> he was sort of clunky. Still is to some degree. Sort of robotic. All elbows and knees. Um, not real smooth. Not a smooth player. When you look at you know, you look at Santa Clara Williams, he's smooth. Even non-stars, Aaron Wiggins, he's a smooth player. Things look good when he does them. Nothing looks good when Ujman Zhang does. When, when Even Jeremy Grant, you know, he looks like he travels every time he goes in to dunk or something, you know, or gets off a shot. His shot is clunky. His ball handling typically is okay. But it looks like he could get stolen at any time. <clears throat> but Jeremy Grant turned into a really good player. Big, tall guy, long arms, cover a lot of ground defensively. That's what I see in Ujman Zhang. Not, not that he's going to be Jeremy Grant, but he could be. And that's why the Thunder liked him. That's why they scouted him. That's why they drafted him. That's why they played him. And The difference is he's taller than Jeremy Grant. And he also came into the league a year young. So I think there's reason to be optimistic about Ujman Schenk, or at least excited about this idea of let's play the guy. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, he's coming into a second year, and he's still going to be probably one of the top 10 youngest players in the NBA is is a way to look at it and he's just got so much time to develop and with him like jeremy grant i don't see the same athleticism but i can see it just like some of the clunkiness like you mentioned of just like dribbling passing where it's like yeah this guy can definitely do some things but it's just weird but my biggest question for him is just like what's the best use or role for him like if we're looking at jeremy grant it was like well he's a stretch four who blocks shots or a small ball five I just don't know what the best way is to showcase Jang to really accentuate his <laughs> skills to get him to that next level because he's not a guy you want handling the ball. I mean, last night he was incredibly at 22 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, three steals, one block, but he had nine turnovers. So I don't think you want him bringing up the ball. 
And then it also just doesn't really help you to just plant him in the corner. So I don't know what the best spot is for him on the floor with the Thunder having so many ball handlers already who are going to take the glut of the usage on the floor. Well, the answer is, I don't know. And the Thunder doesn't know. Here's what people need to remember. Jeremy Grant's second year in the NBA up at Philadelphia, which was not a terrible organization. This is in the rebuild. He was a rebuilding Sixers before the process bloomed. They were in the middle of the process. But Brett, Brett, ba- Brett Brown was a coach. Brett Brown's a very good coach. He knows what he's doing. You know what position Jeremy Grant played his second year primarily? Shooting guard. <laughs> Who would look at Jeremy Grant as a shooting guard? Well, the Sixers tried it. Turns out that's not where he belongs. But they didn't know. And the Thunder didn't know when they traded for him. They just knew he does some interesting things. Let's find out. And I think that's what it is with Zhang. I don't know. The Thunder clearly needs front court help more than back court help. They need, you know, a power forward. And if the guy can, you know, do some outside things even better. Um, his three-point shots terrible as a fret as a rookie. Most of them are. He looked better, a little better in, in Salt Lake. We'll see if if that improves. But he could be, you know, in certain situations, he could be a, a backup center. He could play with Holmgren. He could back up Holmgren. He could, you know, he just. I don't think the Thunder has any idea what he can do, eventually. So. I think that's why you're going to see him play, Zhang. Um, I would say that right now, um, he probably has a better, he probably has a better future than Pokashevsky because Poku still has a, you know, he still has an NBA hopes for a long career, but we know more about him and we know more about his limitations. And I don't know that the Thunder, they don't know what what Zhang can do, but they also don't know what he can't do. It's sort of wide open on Ujman Zhang. Still only 20 years old. I think I think Thunder's going to give him a lot of rope to, to see if they can figure out exactly what they've got. Yeah, they drafted a guy who's a developmental player, and they intend on developing him. I don't know why so many people, it's like, well, so he's going to be out of the league by next year. It's like, well, they, they didn't, this isn't, wasn't an accident. They didn't draft this guy and think he was going to be coming like Chris Duarte at 24 years old and immediately try to contribute. Like they knew this was a right. long-term plan. And the only thing with Jang that I wish could happen that you mentioned like Poku and I'll even mention Darius Baisley in their first couple of years, they just had a wide open runway where this roster just, there's not a lot of avenues for minutes. And I think the best way for him to develop is to be on an NBA floor. I think that being in the G League will help him. But more than anything, I want to see him against NBA caliber players. No, that's a good point. Yeah, Baisley, you know, even, you know, even that, uh, that playoff team of 2020, Baisley's rookie year, is a good team, a lot of good players, but it wasn't terribly deep, which meant Baisley got to play a bunch. He played in the playoffs, for crying out loud. So. Um. Yeah, it's Zhang does have a lot of guys competing with him for playing time. Dave Nault's going to have to be a, you know, a Rubik's cube guy to to figure out all the minutes. It is. It does help that he's not having to, that he's not having to contend with all the the wings and the and the uh, point guards. It helps that he's on the on the front court side of things. I do think. That he'll get he'll get some run there, I would guess. If if someone says what's going by April, what's he going to be? What's his season going to have gone? I would guess he plays sixty games, averaging fourteen fifteen minutes a game. That would be my guess on Ujman Jang. What do you what do you think? I think that's about right. I mean, just the Thunder are just with open arms, just saying, please, someone take these backup four and five minutes. Someone, please. Yeah. And it's between like Poku, J. Will, Jang, JRE, uh, Kenrich will play a lot of those. And it's just, it's going to be open for that. And just like I mentioned with Trey Mann before, he's going to get a lot of opportunities. But 
Jang, if he works out, it's going to be just gravy on top of a lot of these things. I'm not anticipating that he's going to have an impact anytime soon, but I think we'll have a much better feeling going into next year. I just feel like there's just not a lot of room for him to, um, I don't know, spread his wings on this current Thunder roster. Maybe he'll figure some things out and be able to contribute. I think that he's already an NBA level defender, but just some of the offensive stuff, it just feels like still for him, he's still so young that the the game's coming at him way too fast. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, you know, things are going to happen. We're going to have a trade. We didn't know that. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be people like man sort of fell off the cliff last year. Uh, Arkansas Williams elevates into into playing time. There's going to be things we don't foresee. So who knows? But definitely count on Ujman Zhang being part of the of the process. Definitely. The Thunder is not, as you said, they did not draft him so they can he can sit over on the bench and, and watch others play. They want to find out. Thunder is not an NBA title contender this year. Not a deep NBA playoff contender this year. They're not tanking, but they're also not they're not going with a seven man rotation in November and December, trying to trying to make sure they stay in fourth or fifth place in the Western Conference. Guys are going to play. Lots of guys are going to play. Yeah, they just want to see what they have this year. I think that the goal is to be yeah. over five hundred, but beyond that, I don't know much else. And it's just to go. What do we have with these guys? Who's sticking around for the future? Who's going to be here whenever we are really ready to win? And I think that's going to be very interesting, Barry. But um, it's been a lot of fun today. What else do you have to plug before we get out of here? I think you said you're just about to write about something that you uh, mentioned earlier in the pod. Yeah, Zhang. I got I got yep. the Zhang Jeremy Grant um, comparison coming out in the Friday Scissor Tales, and um, I just find it interesting when I find players that strike me as similar. Go back and look and see how the older one progressed. Can we learn anything? And um, so uh, that's that's what was uh, I had to try. I had a Trey Man piece in my Thursday Scissor Tales, uh, the potential trade bait angle. So you know, lots of lots of juicy stuff coming out of coming out of uh, summer league so far. Definitely, and we'll have to and check. We get, and we get Case and Wallace once the Thunder gets to Vegas. Yeah, we'll get to Vegas, and we'll get to check in with Joe after he uh, gets through some of his gambling debt and uh, slot machines <laughs> that he goes through. No, Joe's going to be That's responsible, it. obviously, but uh, should be a lot of fun with Vegas as we get back into talking about some of those things. And yeah, we get to see um, Thunder rookie Case on Wallace for the first time, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But Barry, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, at ThunderBudPod on Twitter. And we'll be back again for more Thunder Talk on Tuesday.